Get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk650andkste.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with Lodi New Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash Farmer Fred Daily Garden Tips. Uh, lots of snark there on Twitter at, at Farmer Fred. And, of course, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there's always a garden dialogue going on, people posting pictures and uh, fun stuff like that. Hey, guess who's here? Sacramento County's original master gardener, Pam Bone, is in the studio with us. And we're talking late summer garden problems, along with trees with good fall color and pruning tips. Even though it's a little early to be pruning, actually there are some things you could be pruning. And uh, watering. You'd think there wasn't a drought. Uh, you may have noticed it didn't rain this month. You may have noticed it didn't rain in August. You may have noticed it didn't rain in July. That's pretty typical around here. No summer water falling from the sky. Will there be water falling from the sky anytime soon? Well, not within the next week, looking at the week-long forecast for our area. It's fair through October. Uh, highs this week, all seven days, the next seven days, will be around 80 degrees and overnight lows in the low 50s. Just beautiful weather for plants. Plants love this kind of weather, even your summer vegetable garden, which may be looking a little haggard, but I bet it has gotten a little good spurt of growth to it and is looking mighty peachy, or in Pam's case, mighty raspberry or something like that. How are you, Pam? I'm doing really great. Good. And uh, have you noticed any trees starting to turn fall color yet, other than the ones in the nursery? A few, um, particularly those that are stressed. Um, some of the stressed trees will show early fall color. And in fact, somebody brought in a plant to the UC Cooperative Extension Master Gardener's Helpline and wanted to know what was wrong with it because it was kind of purplish looking and that. And it was just early um, stress. It had been a little bit drought stressed and it just showing some early signs of fall color. So, uh, but as far as Everything else, not too much yet, but it'll happen very soon. The tree with the earliest fall color in our area is the California buckeye. <laughs> well, Fred, you can't call dead hanging or dead looking leaves fall color. fall color. It's brown. It's brown. And it's been looking like that for at least a month or more. Since July. Yeah. <laughs> so The no. California buckeye is just such an odd tree. And I, I know a lot of people see it on lists of drought tolerant trees for our area. And is it really a tree you want in your yard? I think it's just too big for most yards, not because it gets tall, but because it gets wide. Exactly. No, I wouldn't call it a tree for most landscapes at all. No. Um, it does. It is one of the first trees to leave out, though. But it's one of the first to just have um, dead leaves yes. hanging on it as well, unfortunately. Yes. No matter, people, that's called drought deciduous. It's just kind mm. of a, a technique it uses in its natural location so that it can avoid drought. It's in a drought avoidance. And you don't want that in your landscape, though, because who wants to have a tree that by the end of July, 1st of August, has brown leaves on it? Even And people then, oh, I'll just increase the water. But no, no, no. not at all. However, I, I think if you have a lot of acreage and you want something in the far background, mm -hmm. that's kind of interesting. Oh, the, the bark and the trunks are gorgeous yeah. and really attractive. But even the leaves hanging from it, if it's off in the distance and it's not going to bug you, that's true. It, it's something to look at. Right. I know, there's a lot of California buckeyes along the American River Parkway, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it 
especially between Nimbus Dam and Folsom. And there are just uh, so many that massed together like that. It, it's really kind of nice looking. No, it is. And it's it's a California native that has its place in the landscape. And that is true for any plant is understanding how they grow and placing them then where it's appropriate. Right. So yeah. definitely. But there's a lot of other trees for fall color that uh, can grow in the landscape and that do have beautiful fall color. And a lot of trees are starting to lose some leaves right now and changing just a little bit. The crepe myrtles are just starting to show a little touch of uh, reddish, pinky, mm-hmm. yellow on their edges. My pin oak is losing its leaves, but it loses its leaves about ten and a half months of the year anyhow. So that, what well, else has is it new? happened rather quickly, though, in the last few mm-hmm. weeks? Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, one of my neighbors has a pin oak, and I noticed him out there the other day raking up leaves. Right, and you'll be raking them forever. So that's the only bad thing about that tree, because it, they dribble off, and, and then they hang on. I don't remember them turning to a reddish color though it's just oh, like they went from green to brown that this year so far um no you're right i haven't seen it some of them are just brown overall you'll get sort of a little bit of a coloration here coming up in october before the majority of the leaves mm-hmm. then will start to come off but it's kind of like if you blink you won't see it type thing another thing yeah. my dogs have noticed it's a masked year for acorns because when I take them for walks, their noses are on the sidewalk and they're they're, they're finding these acorns. And no it matter how is. you try to get everywhere, moving. and even on the even on the non-natives like the pin oaks and stuff, but the natives as well, crunch, 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 crunch yeah. everywhere. We have a lot of oaks around. It's amazing. And last year we heard that there were hardly any acorns. So a masked year. There's another one of those terms you're using, Fred. I'm hoping you can define it because so, my wife asked me the same question. It just means that you get a lot of acorns <laughs> thanks <laughs> a year for a lot of acorns yes. that's good enough all right yeah and it is it is one of those years does that mean it's going to be a colder winter than usual i don't know all check right. out the almanac yeah that's see. Uh, I, that that's the old saw was that yep. oh if it's a big year for acorns that means uh mother nature is helping the squirrels store food for a right. very cold winter that's true but, but whether or not here, that really works i don't know so you know we haven't had and I don't want to. I don't want it to happen. We haven't had a really hard freeze in our area in a long time. And people who are planting things that shouldn't really do well here and have gotten away with it for a long time, and things haven't died back. Oh, I think we're in for it. We, sometime some soon. areas of Sacramento did get below freezing last March. Oh, below freezing. I'm talking a hard okay, freeze. Okay, below twenty six. I'm talking below twenty six for a continued okay. period of time where you actually really see. Things suffer. The big um, one that most people remember was December of 1990, oh. when there were two days in Sacramento where the temperature didn't get above 32. That's right. And the lows were down in the teens. Yeah. Water was, pipes were bursting. Right. And uh, that's when we lost a lot of fruit trees, um, mostly citrus, those kind of fruit trees, not not deciduous yeah. fruit trees. The um, And the thing is, is we're hearing about it now. A gentleman just called the um, Cooperative Extension Master Gardener Helpline last week and was talking about his citrus that bears these puffy fruit and really has hardly any juice and it's a big fat rind. And I said, how long have you had it in? Oh, gosh, it's probably 30 years old at least, uh, maybe 35 years and, and that. How long has it been doing this? Oh, it's been doing it for the last 20 years. I said, well, by now you'd probably want to just... Um, take it out 
you know what it was? Sure, it's root a rootstock. Fr- a rootstock. Yeah. It froze. Yeah, and yeah. That, that happened to an orange tree I had in my yard, and I had planted that like in 1989. Thought everything was fine. The freeze in 1990 happened. The tree sort of went into a bit of decline, but then bounced back. Oh, yay! Oh, yay. It bounced back. back. Uh, but wait a minute. Why are the leaves so big and leathery? What are these big thorns all of a sudden? <laughs> and then the first fruit came out and go, cut it open and go, this is a football. This isn't fruit. Oh. And then I knew it was rootstock. But at least then you knew fairly shortly. But unfortunately, a lot of people keep thinking, oh, yeah. it's going to get better. And you know what? It, it, interestingly enough, this gentleman, he thought he was doing something wrong in his landscape. Oh, sure, yeah. And he needed to put, well, and in fact, what he thought is he needed to put more fertilizer on. Um, so unfortunately, that was not the case at all. And people... Um, one nice thing about the Master Gardener Helpline or nurseries with certified nursery professionals and that is that they're there to help answer these questions before you then stumble around doing things that really don't need to be done because it has absolutely nothing to do with what your problem is. My favorite story, and it, it seems to recur every year, people attempting to sweeten up their oranges by applying sugar to the ground doesn't do a thing no it does too it attracts it's ants, ants. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you usually already have ants enough as it is because um citrus another question that just came in is there was scale on citrus on the mm. limbs these little hard bumps that you see are little soft bumps um and uh, citrus scale has been out in full force we've been seeing all kinds of honeydew and and sticky stuff uh and you have to figure out what it is is it an aphid is it a scale what kind of sucking insect is producing that what Insects do produce honeydew besides aphids and scale. Uh, you do get some stickiness with mealybugs. Uh, they will produce uh, sticky. A lot of the sucking insects, I'm trying to remember, uh, thrips and psyllids are sucking rasping insects, but it doesn't look like it's really sticky at yeah. all. I mean, some psyllids. Uh, some, some of the psyllids, maybe, yeah, but mostly mealybugs, scale, and aphids are the ones that come to mind that really produce it. And primarily, it's often um, me, uh, aphids, but then scale is one that's yeah. uh, on trees, shrubs, fruit trees, uh, ornamentals, all kinds of things. I was thinking of the red gum lerp psyllid, and it was the lerps, which was their cocoon that was very sticky. And when the problem first developed, well, what, 20 years ago. It was uh, over in the Bay Area on the Stanford campus, and people were tracking in eucalyptus leaves into all the classrooms, and they're going, what's going on here? And they inspected a little closer, and it was the red gum lerp psyllid on all the eucalyptus in the Bay Area, which found their way here, too. Is Warren going to be on today talking about arboretum plants? Yes. Well, Warren Roberts, I'll never forget this, he used to lead tours of the UC I mean, of the he Sac still State Arboretum. Well, does. He, uh, oh. the, he leads the Arboretum tours, yes, right. but he also used to uh, do some for the Arboretum at Sac State. Mm-hmm. And, and Capitol Park. And Capitol Park, right. Yeah. And I kind of took over about 10 years ago leading them because he wasn't able to do it. And I'll never forget the one time that we did it together, we went out and looked at all the trees so that I could kind of figure out what it was that he was doing and all. The lerp psyllids, he chews them. He takes it off and starts taking those lerps and chewing them. And he says, oh, Pam, they're great. They're really sugary. They're just really sweet. So I'm always telling people, well, you can, according to Warren Roberts, you can take this off and eat it, but I'm not going to. So I never did. His grandmother was an herbalist. 
Aha. See? <laughs> right. So anyhow, yeah, so it is sugar, though, because that's yeah. what aphids and um, psyllids and other things um, scale are doing is they're tapping in to that sugary substance mm-hmm. inside the vascular tissue of the plant. And then they just take in more than they can um, digest and use. And then the rest of it comes out in this sticky material we call honeydew. Then on citrus especially, we get black mold. Mm -hmm. And people think, oh, that they have to control this black mold. But the mold is innocuous, except for the fact that if it gets really bad, it can cut down on photosynthesis. But it's just a result of this sucking insect that then we need to figure out. And the ants the same way. They're secondary. Isn't that black mold the result of the honeydew picking up passing dust from the wind? And just, um, it's a fungi that comes out. Um, You'll get dust, but there's actually a sooty mold of fungi that causes this sooty mold. And it is a fungi that is that lives on that, but it is not pathogenic. It's not going to attack your tree at all. Terry is looking so sad in there because he knows we should have taken a break three minutes ago. And, and he's just, it's like I can see money flying out of his ear and out the door. And well, we better quit talking. All then, right, Fred. we'll take a break. More Get Growing on the way on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Pam Bone, UC Cooperative Extension Master Gardener. We're talking about good trees for fall color, correct watering, correct pruning, etc., etc. as the seasons change here. Because fall officially begins next Saturday. Who, who knew? But let's enjoy this nice weather in the meantime. By the way, Pam Bone, before we go any further, thank you for your very generous, kind donation uh, for the Farmer Fred Ride for the Kids coming up Saturday, October 6th in the uh, Sacramento Century Challenge. I'll be riding my bike 100 miles for uh, basically uh, the Rotary Club is uh, sponsoring this and donating the funds to the Sacramento Children's Home Crisis Nursery Program. And it's uh, great that they're doing that, and I'm glad to participate, and thank you for your support in that. I definitely really believe, first of all, in physical exercise that you're doing you inspired me five years ago to get healthier lose some weight and eat more sensibly and to get out and start walking and and that i don't bike very often but i do walk and i love the um that who it's going to i think it's a wonderful uh wonderful organization so shut your mouth move your feet to better health that's right except for except for you brought in donuts today and i don't I think the first time I had a donut in about five years was the one of the last times I was on the show or earlier this year. And boy, they were good donuts. So I'm actually nibbling away at a donut. I didn't eat breakfast so that I could eat this donut. And now I'll have to pay pittance the rest of the week. But They're good donuts, though, aren't they? They are. Yeah, from Ducky Donuts yeah. in Orangevale. So I thought you were going to thank me not for my donation to your bike ride, but for my raspberry jam I gave you. Thank you, you for the raspberry jam you brought me, Pam. I appreciate yes. it. My wife appreciates that. When I mentioned, uh, I asked her last night, she says, Pam wants to know if uh, we want a jar of raspberry jam. And... My wife says, I'll get the empty jars. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So I can start filling them again. Well, I will tell you, we're being very generous this year for those people that really like it. I mean, I don't want to foist off something. This is still precious commodity, but the raspberry crop this year has been phenomenal. It's absolutely unbelievable. I swear they they feel like they're living up in Washington State, which Mm -hmm. is my home state. Um, It's been unbelievable. I've never had a crop in the 34. 
five years or so that we've been growing raspberries that has been like this. I know they don't last long in the refrigerator. How long do they last on the vine? The raspberries themselves? We pick weekly uh, to make sure that we get them before they get soft and everything. So, uh, and in fact, sometimes it's every five days and lately it's been every five days. So uh, I should say we, my husband (laughs) picks weekly actually. So I'm the one that makes the jam and puts up the berries that we can use later for all kinds of nice baked goods and treats and things. So um, I, uh, I will concede that he is the true gardener for the raspberries. All right. At this point, let's go to the phones. Ray and Colfax, thanks for giving us a call here at Get Growing. Morning, Fred. Hi. Sam. Hi. Uh, I'd like to make an announcement that uh, at the Buddhist Church in uh, Penryn, behind the Union Seventy Six Station, this next weekend, they're having a bazaar there, and the Sierra Bonsai Club mm. is putting on a show of bonsais there, so people want to come see. It's really a good display. Well, that's great. Oh, I love bonsai. They, I can't grow them, but I just think they're phenomenal to look at. What are, is it both Saturday and Sunday or just uh, Saturday? Both days, Saturday and Sunday, and starts about 10, you know. And, and, and they have a lot of food stuff there. For are, are there people there that are going to answer questions about how to grow a good bonsai and what it takes? Oh, absolutely. Great. There's, uh, several, several club members will be present to answer any questions that need to be. All right, so that's at the uh, Buddhist temple in Penryn, behind the 76 station. What road is yeah, that on? It's right on the Penryn Road exit off I-80. Oh, okay. All right. I, I know where that is. Great. I, I, a, there's this pothole I hit on my oh, bike that's when why I'm going he knows. downhill right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it I'd sounds like, like a great to, show. Like, I'd also like to mention the fact that... Uh, uh, California buckeye are supposed to be, the flowers are supposed to be toxic to honeybees. Yes, I, yes they are. We well, were, so we've heard anyway. Yes, no, they are. But then why are they attracted to it? I know, even? they're attracted to it and everything, but they, they definitely can be toxic to honeybees. Yeah, I guess it's social Darwinism. Only the stupid bees go after it. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you will well, find a lot of bees on them. So yeah. there's got to be more to the biology behind that. I, I keep thinking that myself. I have to check that out more. Those flowers well, are I just know that everybody, everybody is concerned about, you know, uh, garden uh, good guys, you know, to oh, sure. your trees and stuff, yep. you know, and there is a shortage of honeybees, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, and yeah, so the, the more bee-friendly plants you have in your yard, the better. Did you hear Fred has an aside? He said, oh, and that's also a panicle. I don't know if you, um, that flower, if you were listening to KFBK, but we were talking about how he used the word panicle, and I said that he was getting Debbie flowerized basically <laughs> because she always uses you know more technical terms and we're learning today but yes, yes it has a uh, sort of a panical look to it too yeah hey ray thanks for telling us about the bonsai show all right thank you for your show i really appreciate it thank you all right bye bye okay i'm gonna throw another term at you and it's Uh-oh. one of one of my favorite trees for fall color bipinately compound Oh, bipinnately compound, yes, which means two branching coming off uh, instead of just pinnately, where it just uh, has the leaves coming off a main central stem and just one coming off. So, what is bipinnately compound tree fall, that's one of your favorite for fall color, especially? Oh, very popular tree. Oh, bipinnately, that's that's a good mm-hmm. tree. Yeah, excellent tree. Oh, because a lot of very the- popular cultivar is Keith Davy. Oh. Chinese pistache. Yeah. Ah. 
Very good. There. I threw another Debbie Flower term at you. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Back to the phones we go. It's Lynn and Alta. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? I'm in actually my car because I had to charge the phone. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, no, you're you're somewhat okay. Okay. Um, So I, two things. Um, Where can I donate to the uh, bike? The bike. Uh, the farmer the friend. Bike. Thank you for mentioning that because I didn't mention that. I, I I built up this whole premise and then didn't close it. And basically, the farmer Fred ride for the kids. If you want information about it, you can go to either uh, farmerfred.com or the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page or uh, twitter.com slash or yeah at farmer Fred. My mom who passed. Okay, she passed away, but that was her favorite charity. So up here in uh, Nevada County, but um, so I appreciate that very much. And they they do use their money to the most efficient way for so many uh, compared to so many other charities. They do yes, and the Sacramento Children's Home is an institution here, been for decades, and they do wonderful work. And their Crisis Nursery Center is especially important when you consider you know just reading the news or hearing the news and you hear about all these problems in homes and what's happening to children and somebody has to take care of the children oh in the meantime and it's just i'm glad they're there for those kids and thank you so much and i'm actually a nursing supervisor down in roseville and i work with social security and i work with anyway they're fabulous anyway so aside from that but they're fabulous um, I have a question. So this this uh, property that we purchased up here in Alta, there is a, I think it's an ornamental um, apple. An ornamental and, apple? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's a crab apple? Some people know. will, there's, the little tiny apples. Yeah. No, there's this tree. It looks like an apple tree. For two years, never did anything. Then it created a apple. Okay. How so, how uh, old is this apple tree? Older than the four years that I've owned the property. Okay. So is it like really old, though? No, no, it's not. Okay. I thought it was just ornamental. It'll bloom in the, mor- in the, in the morning. It'll bloom in the spring, and it's really pretty, but... For the four years we've lived here, we've had one apple, and it's and a true apple, it's not a crab apple. But so my thoughts are, I could use it for um, for um, putting other apple trees. I, yeah, you could propagate the wood and uh, start. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, but can, can you do that even though it's not the Whatever the real wood that you're well, yeah, exactly. To we don't know what kind of tree it is and what sort of rootstock it's on, so you would need to match right. that up. And so the only thing I can think of is when you get an apple, save it, put it in cold storage, and then take it to the California Rare Fruit Growers meeting and ask them to identify it for you. That way, you'll have an idea of what rootstock it was grown on. Oh, so you actually have to identify it because. I- 
what if it wasn't grown on rootstock? Well, that, there's that possibility, but the only way to know is know the variety of the apple to know whether it needs a rootstock or not. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because I, I wanted to go to the root, um, the exchange, mm-hmm. and 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 I wanted to propagate all on this tree that had the one apple. Well, you could do that. Yeah. Okay. Because obviously it's been around for a long time, so it's established itself in that area. The reason you have rootstocks is is for adaptability to particular soil and climate. And so that apple tree is doing okay, so it's either on rootstock that's compatible or it's growing on its own wood. Now, one way to test it, if you've got a, got a few years, is to take a cutting of it, plant it, and uh, see what happens in seven years. Seven years. Seven years, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe five. Maybe because, five if you're lucky, yeah. yeah. Right. So <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, hey, Lynn, we got to run here. Again, we're running horribly late, and Terry looks very sad. No, very, very good, but I appreciate your help. Thank you, Lynn, and thank you for your donation to the Farmer Fred Ride for Kids. Appreciate it. Okay, very good, and ride strong. Thank you. I will. Thank you. All right. Uh, We'll take that break now, Terry. He's happy now. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Sacramento County Master Gardener Pam Bone, urban forester as well, at least in a previous life. Yes. She was an urban forester. And currently a landscape horticulturist as well. That's what I do when I'm going out getting paid for some of the things I do. Good for you. All right. Let's get back to good trees for fall color. And you may even spot these trees uh, coloring up now in nurseries because trees that are in nurseries, frankly, are stressed trees. They're in pots. They're, They're sitting in confined areas. They have sun issues. And so this is a good time to hit the nurseries and look for trees that you hear about that may have fall color and then pick out a tree that has the color you like. That's true. But you probably will have another, you know, week or two before things really start yeah. to... You don't want to get one that's stressed because of fall color. No, you, you don't. Know, the fall color, it's because it's stressed. And we really but, need some nights in the 40s right. for some good color But we're to down develop. in the 50s now, uh, yeah, so... It was 50 this morning. Yeah. So I'm thinking that nursery trees... Are going to really start changing. Yeah, pretty soon here. They are. And especially Japanese maples. You know what I tell everybody, too, about whether or not they want to select a tree for any reason or they want to grow any plant for any reason? Walk your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Go out and just look and see what you like. And if you don't know what something is, ask if you can clip a little sample or make a take a picture of it. And then get it identified at a nursery or through a master gardener or something because... That way, some people will say to me, oh, well, nothing grows. I hear this all the time about Folsom, and you live in Folsom. Nothing grows in Folsom because of the rocks, or it's all rocks out here. We can't grow anything. I go out to Folsom quite a bit, and believe me, there are a lot of things that grow in Folsom. So you can't say that, but people do. You'll hear this, well, that can't grow there because I have heavy clay soil, or I can't grow this. But you walk around the neighborhood, and lo and behold, there's a lot of things growing. Same with fall color, too. You gave me the best piece of money-saving advice I ever received when I originally moved out to Harold. Oh, really? Down in oh, southeastern wow. Sacramento County. That was a long time ago. In 1989, we yeah. moved out there, yeah. and I wanted to plant coast redwoods. You know that old saying, everything you know in gardening is wrong? Well, <laughs> guess what? Yeah, it turns out coast redwoods were popular back then. Knowing yeah. what I know now, I wouldn't have planted them. 
However, uh, I did, and I had these holes dug. I knew I had two layers of hard pan, so I had a guy that had a Jeep-mounted auger come out and drill like 60 holes. Right through it. Right through it. And uh, I loosened the sides of the holes so there'd be yeah. some penetration of roots. And I was going to fill the holes with some primo soil. I was going to go out and buy just excellent soil to put in these holes. And Pam Bowen said, no, just use the native soil. Don't use any soil amendments. They have to live there anyhow. Yeah. And you know where roots go all over the place. They, you know, in a redwood tree, you might have roots that go 100, 150 feet from the trunk of the tree. And if they can't survive in the soil that's there, they shouldn't be planted. Exactly. And the other good reason for using the native soil, it has the same porosity as the existing soil around it. So if you had taken some really nice, loose, expensive soil and dumped it in that hole, when it rained, it would have gone from that heavy clay surrounding soil and just collected in that hole. Like a sump. Like a sump. Yep, exactly. Remember osmosis from high school biology? (laughs) Things from a greater pressure area go to an area of less pressure. That's what would happen in this case, too. So save me a lot of money. Well, it, and the other thing that happens when you put a lot of amendment into uh, it, it, it's a different soil texture than what's uh, the native soil. Mm-hmm. And the roots don't tend to want to go out into the native soil then. They sort of go round and round or stay inside the hole or the soil dries out or the soil stays too wet. And we've just got research after research project that's gone on for the last 30 years well, 30 years, 1989, in fact, yeah. and beyond that, um, that proves that uh, for woody ornamentals, trees and shrubs, that adding amendments, unless it's for a very specialized purpose, like you're going to put in a lot of uh, blueberries or azaleas or something like that that need an acidic soil, and then you're doing it for a specific purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad the advice worked. It did. Uh, thank you very Even much though now it. the redwood trees yeah. are probably, you're going, ah, yeah. I don't know. Oh, that I will say that is something... When I tell you to go around your neighborhood and see what you like, um, also think about, is it just popular right now, and is it really good? Find out what it is. A gentleman came in. He had just moved into the area from, I think he said, Michigan, and he brought. He called me up last week when I was working in the office and said, uh, can I bring in a bunch of samples? So this, this last week when I was working, he came in. And he brought in all these plants that he had no idea what they were. Well, they were the popular whatever it was 30 years ago when the houses were built because it was every single plant that we're not necessarily recommending anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, glossy privet, hmm. for instance. He had a lot of that. And uh, photinia. Now, maybe you still want photinia. It's a but, good privacy shrub. Yeah, it's a good privacy shrub. But um, And then he had your typical camellia, azalea, things like that. And you need to find out, though, are these plants, though, that, like glossy privet, that was a huge thing, and now it's just a menace, uh, seeds everywhere, purple berries splatting all over. So things like that you have to think about. The other tree that uh, has good fall color, mm-hmm. but we don't recommend anymore, and if you take Pam's advice and start walking the neighborhood, you may see one of the rare remaining healthy specimens of this tree with beautiful yellow fall color. Modesto you, ash. Thank you. Yes. yes. But you wouldn't want it. No. No. And you know what? I, I worked for the University of California for years, and I, obviously I'm a master gardener for them now. And we are to blame for that because (laughs) back in the late 50s or so, the university touted it as the miracle tree and it was planted everywhere. And then unfortunately it has all kinds of problems between the mistletoe and the anthracnose and the brittle branches that fall out and the fact that all the um, 
things come from multiple, the limbs come from multiple uh, leaders, I mean, come from one spot. And so they, they're falling out all the time. It's, it's a real problem. But yeah, yeah, we don't recommend that one. But yeah, yellow fall color, you could get a ginkgo. Exactly. Beautiful. I was going to mention that, that if you want a brilliant yellow fall color, boy, it's hard to beat the ginkgo. Oh, and the thing is, is they, they, truly drop their leaves in practically a day and it just makes this carpet that's unbelievable on the ground so yeah that would be a great yellow fall color uh plant you mentioned the pin oak with good fall color it's close relative the scarlet well yeah the pin oak does not have great fall color i would not that tree when we planted it they weren't being grown in uh they were pretty new and so was the the red oak and the scarlet oak and the pin oak were all real new in the nursery industry at that time and we had to go down to berkeley to get the tree and it was labeled a scarlet oak yeah yeah and unfortunately as soon as it started well as soon as the leaves all hung on it um all winter long and then the acorns came out then we knew it was a pin oak the scarlet oak on the other hand does have beautiful uh, fall color most years Mm -hmm. and the red oak can or cannot the red oak is another one of those that you can uh, get beautiful color for a very short time but the scarlet oak it lasts longer yeah you're absolutely right on the red oak we had one on our property in Harold, and it only really put on a good show for a few years of the 29 we lived there right and you you never know and then when you do get it i do have fall color pictures of red oak and i think i got it on one day and the next day you <laughs> go see the tree and it was gone i mean yeah. the color it turns brown very quickly so but you know you mentioned and we didn't really get to talk about it maples yeah, and Japanese maples. Yeah. Japanese or maple. Or even October Glory or, red maple. Or red sunset yeah. or any of the other maples that um, they are good. Um, I would avoid, obviously, the old ones that people used to plant, like silver maples. Oh, those are please. a problem. <laughs> Brittle. Did you have one of those as well? Oh, I ripped that out. Yeah. Yeah, we had that in Folsom, and it was like... Why? Why? Yeah. Why? Why? I know because they're fast growing, and people yes. thought, "Oh, well, yeah. I'll plant that." But yeah, um, beautiful tree. You mentioned Chinese pistache earlier. Oh, yeah. Yes, we did. Uh, as the bipinnately compound mm-hmm. leaves. Yeah. Uh, well, that has great fall color. Yep. Though I will say, sometimes you'll get one with yellow fall color, and you want orange or red, and you don't always get that. The key, I think, with Chinese pistache is choose a named variety, a cultivar. Otherwise, you may end up with a female Chinese pistache that produces berries, which the Chinese pistache is on the borderline of being declared an invasive species in riparian areas. And mm. I, I think you're going to see the day when there may be limitations put on Chinese pistache sales, and that would be a good thing because they'd be limiting it to named cultivars. Which, unfortunately, are hard to find. They yeah. had Keith Davy. Do you know another one? Uh, no. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> either, and that's the problem. And speaking of invasive plants or ones that have become a nuisance that I used to tout years ago, and I planted one and have one, Chinese tallow. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it has beautiful f- red fall color. But unfortunately, it comes up all over creeks and things. And, of course, Amen. I Man. I said, oh, I, I live, like I said, a creek is right behind our, our house. So I just walk right out there. And for years, I went, oh, I've never seen a Chinese tallow ever. Never. Well, I'm sure it's my Chinese tallow now that's coming out of back there. And, yep, it's it, growing. And it doesn't have to be in an area near a creek because we planted a tallow down in Harold. And all of a sudden, there were tallow trees coming up everywhere mm-hmm. on the property. So they don't need much to sprout. I was amazed when I, somebody was out at the house doing some filming. 
and they looked at that tree when it was in fruit and said, oh, it's the popcorn tree. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what it looks like, little yeah. popcorn. Yeah, it has l- little white balls on it yeah. in, in late summer, early fall. Which is what we often will call snowberry plant mm-hmm. because it looks the same way, though it's a little shrubby bush type thing. The other um, really good one, Nisa sylvatica, for fa- the tupelo, fa- tupelo, for that fall color that instead of the tallow tree, it mm-hmm. has a very similar color uh, and can be brilliant in some years and i have a i do have a a nisa sylvatica or tupelo like tupelo mississippi yep i have that too and Mm -hmm. i purposely or i did have it right uh, i definitely planted it in a low-lying area where water would tend to linger a little bit longer because it it can thrive in in slow dry slow draining soils right it grows in sort of swampy conditions actually in its native habitat in the east coast in the delta yes Mm -hmm. although terry's giving me that look again we have to take a break more get growing on the way on talk 650 kste listening to get growing with farmer fred talk 650 kste here again fred hoffman coming up at 11 o'clock during the second hour of get growing garden grappler coming your way urban forester pam bone will be the judge for a tree-like question and uh clue available at farmerfred.com there's a clue available at the get growing with farmer fred facebook page as well mary in manteca thank you for calling us on this sunday morning hi mary hi I have a lot of grapevines, and this year we did not sulfur them. I have lots of dead leaves already. Are they safe to compost, or should I just get rid of them? That's a darn fine question, Pam. Yes, you can definitely compost them. It's fine. Um, You just have um, a lot of powdery mildew spores on the grapes themselves in the grapevine, so just clean up all of those leaves, but the composting process will control that. If you have a hot compost pile. Right. And actually, the slow method, it'll it'll destroy them, too. The thing that's really important, as you found out, is to dust or spray with dusting sulfur or sprayable, wettable sulfur uh, while the vines are really small to control that powdery mildew. And that's an ongoing process, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, Every year. Well, yeah, but but how yeah. often oh, in one season do you We do usually it? recommend it um, three times mm-hmm. when they're about 6, 12, and 18 inches long, the, um, the, shoots. the yeah. shoots on the vine. So that usually takes care of it then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, well, can, I, you can rake everything up and just clean up, get rid of everything and clean up as best you can, and you can definitely compost it. I know from personal okay. experience. <laughs> well, uh, is that better than just leaving them on the ground under the tree? Yes, because there you will have perhaps a lot of, if I remember, I'd have to double check this, but a lot of the powdery mildew spores can overwinter yeah. in the cracks and crevices and things of the vines themselves and yeah. and that. But if I remember right, there might be some activity or spores um, that are in the leaves, but even if not, I always recommend sanitation for everything, just cleaning up everything around it, especially if you've obviously had a disease problem like that. Would you then apply? Yeah, well, I noticed that the, the, I have vines on the east and on the west. The ones on the east uh, are shaded by the neighbor's trailers and stuff. Oh. And they had mildew a lot more than the ones on the west. And that is the one, that is a key to reducing mildew, mildew is to... in Increase air circulation and full sun. And grapes need full sun to do well. And the more 
uh, that you have that shaded area, you're going to have first less production of the, you'll have fewer grapes. And then, um, unfortunately, then powdery mildew can increase as well. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. I've, I've lived here 53 years, and there were some big grapevines here when I moved here, and they're still here and producing. Good. Oh, fabulous. Right. That's great. Mary, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. You're uh, welcome. Bye. Okay. One word of warning about sulfur is don't apply it on a hot day. No, definitely not. Um, they'll have warnings right on the label, too, as to what you do. But for powdery mildew, you typically do it early in the season anyhow, and usually the temperatures aren't a factor at that time. But, yeah, it's definitely always read the label and make sure so um, and find out. But it's interesting, um, looking at some of the commercial growers, um, they do apply powdery mildew controls uh, further on into the oh, season, yeah, too. Yeah, then, yeah. It, yeah so, commercial applications could be six times right, in a growing season. Right, and we usually, for the home gardener, will yeah. say about three applications. So, Roy in Citrus Heights, how are you? Hi, Fred. Uh, quick question. Uh, got peaches. I, I bought from one of your uh, favorite uh, sponsors. Uh, got a semi-dwarf I bought a year ago specifically to ripen late in the season, like now. And it's great because it's got all kinds of peaches. They taste pretty good, but they're not as sweet as I hoped they'd be. Is there something I can do for next year to feed them to help promote a little more sweetness, or is that just a product of the genetics so it is what it is? That's my. That's what uh, I'll do. I think uh, your last response there is about best. It is what it is. I mean, proper care of the tree to get the healthiest fruit possible is always a good answer. Uh, that may slightly improve the flavor, but as far as adding anything in particular to sweeten fruit, uh, Pam, I know of no answer to that one. How old did you say this was? Well, it was, let's see, last year when I bought it, it's a semi-dwarf, not oh, so a it's, genetic dwarf. It was just uh, planted. So it's in the ground. Uh, it was about six feet tall last year. It's now, of course, jumped up quite a bit. I've had to prune it back. Uh, so it's probably a good 8, 10 feet in the air. Okay, so it's a young tree. The thing is, is that yeah. a lot of times the fruit on young trees is not as sweet as it will be on a mature tree. And Ooh. when we're using the term mature for a fruit tree, you want to um, wait at least a minimum of five years before you pass judgment on whether or not this tree is going to bear really good fruit. Yeah. Uh, you want sweeter fruit is also a product of uh, the plant's age and vigor, full sun, size of the fruit itself, so that when you do get to the point where the thing is the tree is bearing well, you want to thin so that you have uh, more sugars going to fewer fruit, and that will definitely help. So don't think that what's happening now is going to be an indicator of what might happen in the future, because it could t- change entirely, and you could very well just have nice fruit. Well, Sweet. they're big and they taste good, and so now I'm really hopeful because a couple years down the road, maybe oh, they should be, be. oh, definitely. Yeah. And fertilizer is not going to increase the sweetness of fruit at all. However, fruit trees generally benefit from an application at least once a year of a of nitrogen fertilizer in whatever form you want to use it, um, whether season? it's organic or. Would you apply it in August? Uh, the best time for deciduous fruit trees. Mm-hmm is in the fall, um, or late summer, excuse yeah. me, um, August into September. What happens is you put it down, 
and it goes into you water it in it's picked up by the tree and stored in the bud so it's right there for uh the summer or spring excuse me the new growth in the spring so it's an ideal time if you are past that stage which we're kind of getting past that now um we're kind of on the edge there but we still have fairly active roots and the soil's still warm so you could try fertilizing now otherwise you could do it in the spring roy quick question is it a fair time peach you know, uh, unfortunately, the tag fell off. And oh, I no. I was able to find it. it. All I remember is that he told me it would ripen up late yeah. late summer to early fall. Well, it and could be a fair time. ripening now. So ah. It could be. Uh, Roy, we have to run here. Yeah. But, no uh, I will follow your instructions. Thanks for the hope. Yeah, Thank good you. luck. I think you'll have it. It's Definitely. Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet if you are up on your trees with fall color. If you've been listening for the last 30 minutes or so, you don't have too many Bloody Marys in you, you probably will be able to remember the answers. So, name a tree with good fall color that's a good tree for our area as well. Because there's a lot of trees with fall color that may not be very good for your area. They have a lot of problems. You may not even be able to find them in commerce anymore. So name a tree with good fall color that's a good tree for your area. Clue available at FarmerFred.com or the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Uh, I think you can figure it out. As Pam said earlier, take a walk through your neighborhood and you may be able to get some examples right there. So, name that tree with good fall color. We have prizes for all five callers. Caller five gets a bonus prize because, as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. Terry, you ready in there? Oh, look at him. He's ready. The number's to call, 916-576-1578, 916-576-1578, or 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255. Five, five. Name a tree with good fall color that's right for your area. And I always have to add, Pam, for your area because we don't know where people are calling from. And there may be trees with fall color from somebody calling from somewhere within the sound of our voices that uh, we might not be familiar with. Right. Or that we have heard of or we see other places, but we don't necessarily grow them down in the valley, but they could grow up in the foothills or wherever, too. Exactly. And that's yeah. why you're the judge, because I didn't want the responsibility. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, we'll figure this one out. All right. <laughs> so in, in the uh, hopes of not giving away any answers, let's talk about something completely different. Let's talk about Oh, I don't know, watering, since 90% of all plant problems have to do with watering. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, people, yeah, this the drought of five years, which, you know, theoretically ended last year, it doesn't really end, it just takes a nap. And, but that drought of five years made people do some silly things as far as they quit watering their landscape, but they left the plants in. Like you see dead lawns, but there's a tree in the middle. And those trees, trees are big things, so they can hang on for a while. But I think now you're seeing more and more trees dying in those areas that were uh, left basically abandoned. You know what tree that I'm really starting to see suffer? Redwoods. Yeah. 
And they didn't look bad during the drought itself. It just is now finally catching up with them. And I'll see how, in fact, driving in here today, not into this right here. I know you've got a couple right outside the uh, window here. Let's not give away any answers. (laughs) Yeah, that are still alive. Um, Well, I'm talking about redwoods. Okay, I know. Redwoods do not. I'm I'm sorry they have the windows covered up here. Yeah. So I could point out to you the decline in the redwoods. But driving along um, Response Road, there are... Uh, rows of redwoods that are just looking thin and mm-hmm. bad and once they start looking like that usually yeah. it's just a downhill well even out on exposition boulevard in front of cal expo all those pines mm. that they planted along the roadway those, those don't look very good either right so a lot of people did ignore the fact that um, trees need water um, especially things like redwoods that come from the coast and the problem is is that we're seeing the effects of that now but Some people have gone to the opposite extreme, and they have started watering everything in sight. I'm seeing water running down the gutter way more than I did. And I mentioned we live on a creek. Well, that creek, for the first time, and we've lived there since 1980, for the first time during the drought, ran completely dry. Totally, Mm -hmm. absolutely dry. That had never happened. No mosquitoes. Yeah, no mosquitoes. There wasn't a drop of water in there pretty much all summer long. And that uh, didn't occur the first year or two of the drought, but after the proclamation that you had to save all this water and everything happened, it did. So what was the difference? People weren't, because those creeks, water from the street going into the storm drains are going into the creeks. And so people weren't washing their cars. They, the water wasn't running off their landscapes anymore. Well, guess what? That creek has not gone dry once this entire season. It's flowing as if there was enough water. It's, it's like it's been raining all summer. Um, so, so it's basically runoff. It's, it's not snow it's, melt. No, it's not snow melt. That's it. And so basically it's runoff. That's all it is. Because if it went completely dry during the drought and now there's water in it, where's that water coming from? It's coming from people uh, overwatering. Yeah, and it's what's interesting too is there, there's this dichotomy when it comes to planting drought tolerant native plants, especially in that yes, they can once established they can live on less water. But people have noticed, you know, the more water I give it, the better that plant looks, and they, they get bigger and lusher. People like that's that. true, and whether it's a California native or just a Mediterranean plant, mm-hmm. anything that's more of a water thrifty kind of saving plant. Um, they need water, just like anything else. And I would encourage you to make sure that it has sufficient irrigation and you get it established and you grow it well. But then realize, just like planting a lawn, when people plant lawns, and by the way, a lot more people are putting lawns back in again. Yeah, They're not taking them out. They're putting them in. I don't understand, especially when entities like the state, and in the case of Folsom, the city of Folsom, pay you to rip a lawn out. You know, I will say that I'm I'm going to um, talk a little bit about a neighbor that um, inherited a landscape that's about six, seven years ago. The people, the previous homeowners there decided to put in what was a water thrifty landscape, and it was all lawn. They took the lawn out. I, I have it documented. I've got pictures of it. Completely got rid of the lawn, put in a couple of trees, put in actually some artificial turf, little tiny, like putting green type size, and then um, put in a number of plants. No lawn at all, no uh, whatsoever. And it was diverse and beautiful, and everybody was, wow, oohed and odd. They spent a lot of time out there, though, working on it. The house was sold a couple of years ago. 
those people have children. They don't have a backyard uh, that has enough uh, lawn space. They completely ripped out the other landscape and put in just lawn. They just finished it all. And I got to talking to them about it, and they said, did you know that this lawn with all of its plants actually, well, we'll find out, used more water. It used a tremendous amount of water, and that's because the previous people had put plants in that were pretty and attractive, but obviously they were using a lot more water to keep them alive, or they were the kind of plants that needed more water. So the selection, just because you put in a landscape that doesn't have lawn, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to use less water. It depends on how you water, what's the need of those plants. And then the other thing is, the people before that were gardeners. And they put in a lot of perennials that needed deadheading and needed separating and dividing and, and all of those things. And it did turn out to be a lot more work for them than just going out and mowing the lawn once a week and turning on the sprinkler system. I still think in the long run, that is more work. Caring for a lawn, uh, dealing with the expense of a lawn, fertilization, weed killing and all that. It's still more time-consuming than dealing with a yard full of plants. Well, it depends. If you go, uh, and I will say, I'll give say something is that a lot of people don't have high expectations for their lawns. They're, you're lucky if they throw um, fertilizer application on once a year. Um, they don't care if there's a few weeds here and there. And so, if you, Fred, if you really look at what lawns truly look like, that doesn't require a whole lot of care. <laughs> I know, but the thing is, they would thrive more. They would be more tolerant of drought if they were allowed to grow correctly. If a lawn is allowed to to get to its potential for growth, it would develop a stronger root system. People cut their lawns too short. Right, and there is a maximum amount at which you're then using too much water because you have too much uh, leaf blade out there. But um, each grass has its kind of optimum height and you do not want to cut low like you said and i i tell people even during the drought and i've been talking about water efficient landscapes since the 90s drought um uh, it's a topic that uh, was very popular back then not because people were saving any kind of money because we didn't have water meters back then but because overwatering was killing landscapes right. it was causing diseases in lawns and it was still doing that and now there's more of an incentive to save water because um, you're spending money on that water now because of your, um, obviously, metering. So what I say to people, though, is still, you can have lawn, you just may need to reduce it. And you need to do just like you said, Fred, you need to grow it more properly, uh, uh, have a proper uh, irrigation system, proper mowing height. All those things are really critical and, and all. But I thought it was an interesting listening to different people. You can do things wrong even when you think you're putting in a water-efficient landscape. So you have to understand what the plant's water needs are. Mm-hmm. And just because they're called water-thrifty, it's up to you to decide whether or not they're going to be water-thrifty by how much you're watering and, and how you're watering. And there's also the case of when you're putting in a water-thrifty plant palette mm-hmm. that... It still needs water to get established. It definitely. All of them do. Whether yes. they're, like I said, whether there's the California natives, people think, oh, they're a California native. They are used to this drought. But that's not true when right. they're first put in. Uh, when do they sprout in nature? In the winter months when it's mm-hmm. raining. Yeah. And in fact, I heard you earlier saying fall is for planting, and it certainly is, and Mother Nature knows that. 
We have to take a break, but when we come back, we're getting your answers to the musical question in today's Garden Grappler. Name a tree with good fall color that's right for your area. We have uh, four people lined up. We need a fifth. Nine one. I need a fifth. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Name a tree with good fall color that's right for our area. It's the Garden Grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. listening to get growing with farmer fred talk 650 kste here again fred hoffman all right we got five people lined up for the garden grappler five people who say they can name a tree with good fall color for our area that's uh, a good tree for the area as well pam bone master gardener urban forester will be the official judge for today's competition ray and colfax your first up go ahead give us that tree with good fall color how about a staghorn sumac Oh, I knew somebody was going to bring up the sumac. I love that tree, and we get so many people. You must not be from the valley. Colfax. Yeah, see? People are always asking us, oh, what is that tree up there with that red leaf on it? And it's so beautiful up in the foothills. And and can we grow it down here? And it does not do well down here at all. So, But that's a great one. For Colfax. Yeah, for Colfax, right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And really great color. Wow, good answer there, Ray. I like that. Thank you. Uh, what are we sending everybody, Fred? We're sending all five colleagues. Oh, the Farmer Fred Fall Garden Checklist. And as timely as the day's headlines, uh, my uh, paper on tree first aid after a storm. So, I mean, we will get winter storms with wind and rain and trees will fall. What you should do when that tree looks like it's going to fall. So, uh, Ray, I'll be sending you that stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate it. All right. I was not expecting staghorn and sumac. I was. I was. I knew. Uh, I would. I knew we'd get sumac of some sort. I just knew it. All right. Because you have a lot of colors from up in the yes. Foothills there's a lot area. of foothills. Yeah. yeah. Judy in Sacramento, go ahead. Give us a tree with good fall color. Hi, Fred. Hi. Um, Japanese maple. No Pan- doubt. No, definitely. All right. Japanese yes. maple. All sorts of great varieties there. Good answer there, Judy. With Japanese maple. So I'll send you whatever I said I was going to send Ray. Uh, the Farmer Fred Fall Garden Checklist. Oh, I haven't sent that out since last fall. And uh, the tree first date after a storm. So that'll be coming your way. Thank you very much. And have a good rest of your day, both of you. Oh, you too, Judy. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, Don in West Sacramento, give us a tree with good fall color, won't you? Hi, Don. Oh, I, yeah, uh, Chinese pistache. Oh, one of the best. Excellent. Yep. Chinese yes. pistache. That's yep. an outstanding Beautiful. fall color. Beautiful. Red, brilliant red. Brilliant red, orange a lot of times mixed in, and sometimes you'll get yellow, but even then it can be beautiful. So, Yep. Great choice. Good answer, Don. I'll be sending you that fall garden checklist and also uh, tree first aid uh, during a storm. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Don. Appreciate it. All right, let's go out to Danville and Ray. Hello, Ray. I'm going to go with the October Glory Maple. Ah, that's one of the best. Oh, that has absolutely, almost blindingly brilliant mm. red fall color. It's so gorgeous, yes. And it's plus it's a great tree. really does well, yeah. doesn't get too big. Do you have one? Uh, well, 
I thought I had one, and they uh, sent me one that just turns yellow and green, so I was oh. very disappointed. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. Now, that brings up a good question, because Danville is a more mild climate than ours. It doesn't get quite as cold. Would that affect the red leaf on an October yes, glory red maple? Yes, it definitely would. Mm-hmm. Okay. No doubt, because the whole thing about fall color has to do with the uh, temperatures and uh, nights length, and yeah. day length and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's possible uh, oh, possible I have the right tree, just not enough cold. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Or certain years. Is it a young tree? Uh, three years old. Yeah. So you may still have some hope left uh, for that. Uh, you may just not have had the conditions right now. So some years we have good fall color and other years it's poor. So give it a chance. Don't give up okay. on it yet. Thank you. Uh-huh. Sure. Good answer there, Ray. I'll be sending you the uh, fall garden checklist and tree first aid after a storm. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Caller, is that me or you? Or is that Marie? Marie, is somebody calling you on your phone? It's not me. <laughs> it must be Marie. On my cell phone, yes. Yeah, on your, yeah I thought so. I reckon... Yeah, let me, let me move to another room. Okay. I, I, um, I reckon... Sugar maple, which I have in my front yard, and the leaves are falling already before they're even turning. Acer saccharinum. Exactly, yes. You actually have a sugar maple then. Well, I do believe it is I... one. Uh, it's, it's about 50 years old. Because well, 40, normally 30. we, yeah, the we don't usually see the sugar maple. We usually see silver maple. What color, fall color does it have? Red. Oh, well, then it probably is. Then you're one of the few then. Not very many people plant that. It does make beautiful fall color. Yes, uh, but but the leaves are already falling a whole lot earlier this year than they have in the past. Oh, is really? That... Did they color up? Uh, no, they're green. Uh-huh. So they, went, they went from green to down. Yes. I, I wonder um, if it has something to do with the water, the drought, and the That's watering. That's exactly what I'm wondering. Yeah. How, how ca- and it's got a lot of roots that are up on the top throughout the lawn. Yeah. So you need to, um, obviously, we'll see how the winter rains go. And if we get good, sufficient winter rains, you're probably okay. But otherwise, um, you might have to put on a good, deep soak occasionally uh, in addition to what the lawn, because they are pretty watery water greedy type plants so, yes yeah well usually the the it, it gets color by by november beautiful red color mm-hmm. but at the rate the leaves are falling you're probably not uh, going to get it this year then exactly yeah, that's there's no I'm leaves thinking. on the tree yeah it's, <laughs> yeah i would say that uh you're going to have to watch the um specific watering for that tree in addition to whatever it gets in the lawn okay did, did the leaves turn brown before they f- fell uh, no, no. Okay, they fell green, so it's not like a disease. It's not like verticillium. No, leaves. no, it's it's they're mm-hmm. lovely green uh, maple she- uh, shaped uh, leaves. It's still pretty, but that's they're dropping awfully early this year. Well, yeah, that that makes drought. me sound like yeah. it's a little bit of drought stress there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Should I go ahead and make a ring of a soaker hose around the... Uh... You know, it wouldn't hurt to do that now at all. Um, just don't do it right next to the trunk. But okay, um, yeah. we definitely will recommend that uh, for trees before we get into the rainy season to kind of get a jump start on that and to give it a good deep soak. And maybe just one time will be enough to help it out a little. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good idea, too, because it looks stressed. Yeah, well, generally it's falling this early. Yeah, yeah definitely. The... The, the problem I see with soaker hoses in this regard, and I, I totally agree that the extra water beneath the tree is very helpful, and starting like halfway out of between the trunk and the outer canopy, and the then beyond the, tree, the canopy, and doing a spiral that mm-hmm. goes out and out and out, 
that is a heck of a lot of soaker hoses. And if you look at the instructions on most soaker hoses, which are sold in 25-foot lengths, they say do not attach more than two of these together. That's true. And you do have to, if you're going to use soaker hoses, then you have to move them around. You're going to put one and I sometimes I'll use a squiggly line and have it so that it's on one side of the tree and let it soak, and then the next day come back in again and do the other half. The other thing is you can use a very low-volume sprinkler, too, if you use one that puts it on slowly but surely. Mm. And some of the nurseries, I was out looking, and they've got some new sprinklers that uh, are much more lower volume that you can have just kind of wave back and forth or whatever and put it on slowly. Mm. The, the key is not to let it run off. Try not to have it right next to the trunk and go beyond the drip line. Like the Hunter MP Rotator is one of these uh, low-volume finger-like sprinklers Mm -hmm. that sends out water. Another option would be using a half-inch inline emitter tubing that has emitters built in every 18 inches. And you could run, with 18-inch spacing, you could run 500 feet of that in one single line. Yeah, anything that'll just put it out more slowly and distribute it throughout the uh, root zone and beyond the drip line. That's the real key. That yeah. a drip line is just a kind of a guide. The roots go way beyond that. Okay. So okay. what do we have for a bonus prize today, Fred? Well, speaking of that, Marie gets the 2019 Sacramento County Master Gardener, Master Food Preserver, Gardening and Preserving Guide and Calendar. Was she number five? She was number five. Oh, my goodness. How exciting for you. T- time flies <laughs> when you're having fun. Marie, congratulations. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great week. Thank you. You too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, yeah. No, staghorn sumac, Japanese maple, Chinese pistache, October glory red maple, and the sugar maple. Right. A surprise sugar. entry. Yes, it was, because we don't see too many of them. And I was just curious about sunset. Yeah. What is the sunset zone? Sunset zones? zone. It does say 1 through 10 or oh, 14 okay. through 20. That's I mean, us. it can grow here. It's just that we just don't see a lot of them growing here. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of uh, new ones, though, I was just noticing that are much smaller and heat and drought tolerant, like Autumn Splendor. So maybe she has one of those. That's oh, no, she said it was very old. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah that's right. Three. So I, I wonder, I'm going to have to look into more about what the nurseries are carrying as far as sugar maples. And are we seeing any more of those? Because I like this one. It says here is this uh, Autumn Splendor says best choice for the Southwest. Well, we sort of count that way. So, Or eventually we will be. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true, we're, we're too. We're trending that way. Yeah, no doubt. So there's just quite a few. Um, it's just something that we don't see too many of, and maybe we should. Pam, you got to go. Do I have to leave? Yeah. Is it time to go? Yeah, it's time you to You have leave. to hear from Warren Yeah, yeah. we got to talk to Warren else. and find out about what's blooming at the Arboretum. Great. And what's doing there. Thank you for the raspberry jam. You again, are most welcome. I, I appreciate that. And again, you're speaking at the Perennial Plant Club in two weeks on Thursday, September 27th right. in the evening. Fertilizer seven. 101 at yeah. 7 o'clock at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center. You're going to learn all about fertilizers and should you apply them? And if you're going to, how and what kinds are there? And maybe you don't even need fertilizer. So... That's what I'm going to be talking about. Steve Zion might be there to harass you. I don't know. No, he wouldn't have to at all. We <laughs> okay, agree all right. on a lot of things. All right. Feed the soil. I always agree that that's the number one thing you should do. All right. Uh, always good to have Pam with us. Thank you so much. All right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll find out what's blooming at the UC Davis Arboretum when we talk with Superintendent Emeritus Warren Roberts as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE.
Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Every month we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum. Find out what's in bloom in this time of year. Now that we have a little bit of cooler weather, some different plants are starting to put on a show. Along with some uh, summer stalwarts, we now have some uh, fall starters, you might say, that are uh, <laughs> uh, coming up and are putting on uh, quite the show. What are they? Let's find out. Now, maybe you missed the first half of our conversation over on KFBK, on the KFBK Garden Show. You can go back and listen to the podcast of this morning's KFBK Garden Show via the iHeartRadio app or kfbk.com or your favorite third-party podcast aggregator. But Warren, let's pick up where we left off. We were somewhere in the letter N because the last plant we talked about was uh, the Nerium oleander. Opuntia ficus indica. This is the common prickly pear. We have a very large specimen plot in our uh, amongst our desert plants, uh, kind of near the very large water tower in the arboretum. And you can't miss it. It's it has a thousand, well maybe a thousand large red fruit on it. Uh, it's regular Opuntia ficus indica. So or prickly pear. So be careful. It does have stickers. We also have a smaller species in the store garden, which is native actually to New York City, as well as the, the seaboard where, where uh, Florence is visiting this week, and Carol is. And this is a pressa with uh, narrow red fruit. It's a smaller item, uh, but still has stickers. So B, oh, Pelargonium cytoides is a Pelargonium species from South Africa. It doesn't look like a regular geranium very much, but it has beautiful maroon garnet flowers. And um, there's a, a patch of those in the uh, story garden, which is quite, um, well, you can't miss it. Plumbago auriculata, the regular plumbago, we have a white flower in the gazebo garden. Uh, a tough and easy uh, plant, uh, best in full sun. The winter can knock it back a little bit, but it, uh, it's easy to recover. Uh, we have some pomegranates in the arboretum, the dwarf ones and so on, and the fruit is beautiful right now. The uh, Punica granatum is the name, and uh, yeah, beautiful, and then later on, tasty. Roses, hybrid roses, still looking beautiful. Uh, gosh, uh, I just love roses. I love the flowers. I have had to learn to like the shrubs because of the stickers. But uh, this uh, uh, Central Valley is a great place for roses because we don't have summer rain. And so a lot of the diseases that plague them elsewhere are not a problem. Roselia, this is a, uh, a sort of a herbaceous shrub from Mexico, which has almost no leaves, has green stems. So it looks kind of like an equisetum. Roselia equisetiformis is one of the parent species of an even more spectacular one called St. Elmo's Fire. The, this... Uh, selected um, hybrid uh, only gets about two feet tall but oh my goodness the color is almost overwhelming it's a brilliant uh, scarlet red um, a, a sort of a cloud of uh, tubular red flowers and again hummingbirds really like this kind of a flower so there's a number of sages in bloom now or salvias salvia darcii from the pine forest of mexico has uh, red flowers on long, flexible stems, and a um, selection of that or a hybrid of it called Valentina is even more so. That's one of the ones you'd see in the uh, Hummingbird Garden, which is between the vet school on the campus and the um, teaching nursery. 
Also in that garden is a salvia that I hadn't seen before called Mesa Azur, and it uh, is about a uh, foot and a half tall, and it has, um, well, I guess, mauve flowers. Is that right? Mauve or mauve? It's kind of a, a light purple, but very, very nice. It catches your eye right away. Sternbergia lutea looks a lot like a crocus. Sometimes it's called the yellow autumn crocus, even though it's not a crocus, and it's not a, an autumn crocus either. Uh, this would be a plant that uh, um, that Jesus and his allies would have known, because it's native to that part of the world, mm. as well as further north in the eastern Mediterranean. The uh, symphotrichum, this is a new name for the Michaelmas daisies, used to call them aster, but now it's symphotrichum. Purple dome is a uh, uh, sort of the shape of a basketball, actually, and there are a number of those growing and blooming right now. That's it's really spectacular with rich purple flowers. Uh, there is a nice patch of snowberry uh, in near the, near Shields Grove, the Oak Grove. There's a patch of it you can see from some distance because of the white berries. This is the native one, Symphoricarpus albus variety labigatus. Uh, but snowberry, it's uh, the the berries are supposedly edible, but they're certainly not very palatable. But they're beautiful to look at, and there are some also uh, at the edge of the redwood grove in the eastern part of the arboretum. Almost the most spectacular plant in bloom in the arboretum is golden bells, Tacoma stands. It's a, a relative of the trumpet vine family, and this is growing in a uh, a part of the arboretum that is just uh, near the, uh, the old horse barn and uh, across the creek from the Pony Express station site. But it's, it's really splendid. It's a little frost tender, but it always uh, survives, kind of the way Plumbago is. But it's almost completely covered with, with bright, uh, rich yellow-colored bells. And uh, last but not least, Trichostema linatum, uh, is our our woolly blue curls shrub, native to the mountains of central and southern California. Looks kind of like a rosemary, but with really splendid uh, purple flowers on on uh, stems. The plant gets about uh, gets about two feet tall, I think. The foliage is fragrant. It's kind of reminiscent again of rosemary, but I don't. I've never heard anybody using it for cooking, but to just to look at, and it's also very popular with hummingbirds. It needs very good drainage and full sun if you want to grow it, but it's worth trying. It's kind of like Daphne in the fact that it sometimes doesn't last very long, but, but it's certainly worth worth having. Beautiful California native plant. doesn't need much water, and it gives lots of color. Well, speaking of worth having, there's a sale coming up at the UC Davis Arboretum Teaching Nursery where many of the plants we talk about will be for sale and a lot more. I think there's something like 20,000 plants that are going to be offered up for sale beginning on Saturday, September 29th. Yes, Saturday, September 29th. And there's six, I, I heard today there's 650 different things for sale. And that's not counting the, the plants from the, the, the conservatory on campus. So wow. probably 750 plants. And that will be from 9 to 11. It is going to be for members only, although you can join at the door. And by the time you buy a number of plants and get a, it's a free plant or something, it's, uh, it's, it's about the same as if you didn't, didn't belong. And it would be a chance, of course, to become part of our wonderful support group for the, from the community. 
And then from 11 to 1, it's open to the general public. Saturday, September 29th, the first of the fall plant sales at the UC Davis Arboretum Teaching Nursery. Then they'll do it again in October on a Saturday, on October 13th. That's right. And November 3rd, also on Saturday. All of them are on Saturday this year. And uh, then I'll be giving a walk of the Arboretum out near the um, Arboretum Teaching Nursery on the 10th of October at noon. That's a Wednesday and also the 14th of November, that's a Wednesday as well. And I hope to see you out there. It's a lot of fun. We don't move very far or very fast, but we see a lot of interesting plants. And each month, there are new actors in the drama of the uh, colorful plants of the Arboretum. There you go. That's an interesting way to think of them. All right. (laughs) I like that. All right. Always a pleasure to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum. We do it every month to find out who's putting on a show, speaking of the actors, at the UC Davis Arboretum. Warren, again, thank you for a few minutes of your time, and I look forward to our next chat. Thank you very much, Fred. I enjoy it very much. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's take a look at the upcoming garden events in our area. See what's uh, going on. Looking for something to do this afternoon? You could head out to the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center where the Delta Gesneriad and African Violet Society show and sale is happening. Shepherd Garden and Arts Center in McKinley Park, 3330 McKinley Boulevard, right across the street from the tennis courts. African Violets, they aren't just what you see in the grocery store. Trust me on this. You're going to see some amazing different varieties, sizes, and colors at this show and sale, which goes on uh, now. 11 a.m., well, now is actually 11.48 a.m., to, uh, what, 3 p.m. So, yeah, plenty of time this afternoon. It's free. It's open to everybody. The Delta Gesneriad and African Violet Society show and sale going on now at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center. All right, also going on later this afternoon from 2 until 4 o'clock, the Yolo County Master Gardeners uh, want to hear your garden questions, and they will be answering your garden questions about uh, anything you may have. Also, they'll talk a little bit about uh, planting your fall garden. It'll be at the Mary Stevens Davis Library at 315 East 14th Street in Davis. And that, again, is today, 2 until 4 o'clock. A little class on food preservation coming up, put on by uh, the folks of the uh, Calaveras Master Food Preserver Program. It'll be going on at the Calaveras Senior Center at 956 Mountain Ranch Road in San Andreas. Wednesday evening, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., you'll find out about freezing food and drying food. Coming up uh, Thursday, September 20th, the Green Gardener Training Module Number 1. It's an all-day class on soils. If you have 55 or 65 bucks, you can get into this class and sit there from 8 to 5 and learn all about healthy soil, how it's the key to a beautiful drought and pest resistant landscape and it's it, it's meant for garden uh professionals but anybody uh, can uh, participate and uh, if you want more information about it rescapeca.org about this all-day class at the Folsom Community Center in Folsom on Thursday September 20th that website again rescapeca.org Coming up Saturday, the Master Gardeners over in Napa County have a class on bulbs, corms, rhizomes, and more. This workshop will be from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. next Saturday. 
at the Mid-City Nursery at 3635 Broadway Street in American Canyon. Also, plant sale, yes, uh, coming up in the foothills in Grass Valley next Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon, the Master Gardener Fall Plant Sale at the uh, Demonstration Garden at the Nevada Irrigation District grounds in Grass Valley at 1036 West Main Street. That'll be next Saturday from 9 until noon. A lot of plant sales will be coming up, especially in early October. We'll give you those dates as October gets closer. And uh, we, we are fond of saying, because it's true, Fall is for planting. The soil is still warm. The days are shorter. They're not as hot. More conducive for plants getting established in a new home. Transplanting is much easier in the fall. That's why we say fall is for planting. And so uh, take advantage of these fall plant sales. Coming up Saturday, September 22nd from 11 to 4, the Sacramento County Master Gardeners will be answering your gardening questions at the Latino Community Festival in Nielsen Park at 7596 Center Parkway in Sacramento next Saturday, 11 a.m. to 4 o'clock. Uh, fall plant sale going on in Calaveras County next Saturday from 10 until 1 at the uh, Calaveras County Master Gardener Demonstration Garden at 891 Mountain Ranch Road in San Andreas, 10 to 1 for that foothill plant sale down there in San Andreas. Coming up next Saturday and Sunday, speaking of plant sales, the California Native Plant Society, the Sacramento Valley chapter, has a fall native plant sale and art market coming up at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard next Saturday and Sunday. You can find a plant list online as well of what they'll have for sale. A lot of good uh, fall natives and uh, great time to plant. For more information, you can go to their website, sacvalleycnps.org, CNPS for California Native Plant Society, sacvalleycnps.org. For more information about that plant sale next Saturday and Sunday at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center. Besides the uh, Sacramento County Master Gardener, Master Food Preserver 2019 Gardening Guide and Food Preservation Guide and Calendar, Placer County has their 2019 calendar and gardening guide available as well. And uh, in, you can find it at many nurseries in the Placer, Nevada, and El Dorado County areas like Peaceful Valley Farm Supply, Oto Orchard, High Hand Nursery, Flower Farm Nursery, the two Green Acres nurseries in Placer County in Rockland and Roseville, El Dorado Nursery in Shingle Springs, and the Golden Gecko up in Garden Valley. All right. Is that it? Okay. Plenty of garden events coming up. If your group is having an upcoming garden event, try to get the information to me two weeks ahead of time and uh, send it to me via email to fred at farmerfred.com. And I'll mention it on the air. And if it's in a presentable form, I'll even uh, put it over on uh, farmerfred.com as well. What do I mean by presentable form? Don't send me a JPEG, don't send me a picture. Write words in the body of an email about when, who, what, where, why, instead of making me transcribe things. Thank you. <laughs> All right. It's free. What do you want for free? All right. What have I talked about? Uh, you know what I haven't talked about yet, and I'm looking forward to talk about, is what's coming up on the KSTE Farm Hour today from noon until 1 o'clock. Uh, of course, we're going to be following the ag effects of Hurricane Florence, what's happening in the southeastern United States. There are, have been some serious ag implications there, ag implications that could affect price commodities here in California 
for such uh, staples as cotton, which is uh, getting battered right now in the southeastern uh, United States and the Carolinas especially. And we won't know the full extent of the uh, agricultural damage there for probably a few weeks. But uh, we know that things are underwater. Speaking of underwater, rice. Rice needs water to grow, right? You've seen in the Sacramento Valley, maybe while driving through the Sacramento Valley lately through uh, five, Highway 5 or 99, you may have noticed that what used to be fields and fields of rice are slowly becoming nut orchards. Almonds, walnuts. Whoa, what's going on? Why is rice shrinking? Why, why the decreased acreage in rice? Well, there's a lot of reasons. And uh, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword for rice growers in that, well, yes, that means there may be less product that we'll be able to grow, which means it could fetch a higher price. But the problem with higher prices, they may price themselves out of the world market. There's that. Then there's the fact the limitations that rice growers now face on spraying herbicides. A lot of aerial spraying is done uh, of herbicides on, on rice fields because they're surrounded by rice. So they didn't have to worry about not spraying surrounding crops that were different. Now they do. Now they've got trees, which can be adversely affected by herbicide spray. So they have to now really limit their herbicide applications as far as air spraying goes and go to more ground applications, which is an even narrower window of opportunity. So we're going to be talking about that uh, with one Calusa County rice grower. And uh, what else? We Oh, all the crop reports as well that are coming in. Uh, and uh, the woes of organic dairies in California and what's happening there. And it's kind of the same story throughout California of what's going out and what's coming in. So that's coming up on the KSDE Farm Hour later this morning in about, I don't know, five minutes uh, from noon to 1 o'clock right here on Talk 650 KSTE. All right. You know what I haven't talked about, and I do want to spend a minute on, is tearing out your summer vegetable garden and the sadness of, oh, there go the tomatoes. Goodbye, tomatoes. Maybe that tomato plant is no longer producing tomatoes. It is, after all, mid-September. And you don't see much in the way of yellow flowers. So maybe, especially if it's a full-size tomato, if you don't see any green tomatoes, you don't see any flowers, maybe it's best you pull it out, put in your cool season vegetables after uh, amending the soil, putting in some broccoli or cauliflower, lettuce, spinach, kale, or plants that love cool weather like uh, snapdragons or other annuals like stock or Iceland poppies, or calendulas, things like that, that have a lot of great color. Um, so now's the time to be uh, thinking about what's sort of going downhill in the old vegetable garden and taking that out to make room for winter and cool season vegetables and color, of which there is plenty, and plenty available at nurseries as well. If you want to grow tomatoes in the wintertime, you certainly can if you've got a lot of good artificial light a greenhouse, or a room inside you don't mind dedicating to growing tomatoes. The key to growing tomatoes in the wintertime really is light, heat. You don't want the temperature below 50 degrees. And quick, maturing varieties of tomatoes. And there's a lot, some good greenhouse tomato varieties that will grow during the colder months that if you plant them now, start them from seed now, they could be giving you tomatoes by New Year's Day. 
they're not going to taste as good as a tomato grown outdoors in the summertime, but it's still a notch above supermarket quality. Uh, varieties like Bush Early Girl, Bush Beefsteak, Clear Pink Early, Oregon Spring, Polar Baby, Prairie Fire, Red Robin. For more information, go to the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page. Go to FarmerFred.com and look up uh, New Year's Day tomatoes from your greenhouse. There's a lot of information there. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your support all these 26 years. Thanks, Terry, for pushing the buttons. We'll do it again next week. Debbie Flower will be with us, and we'll get some good gardening advice from her as the first full week of fall commences next week. All right. Have a great week, you. Bye-bye.